Good morning, everybody. I hope you have the uh, sheet that's over here. Uh, that'll help a lot. <clears throat> I've got to get used to this being mic'd because I was going to shout and scream and carry on. But <clears throat> All right. We're, let, let's uh, pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have initiated this relationship and that you have called us to yourself when uh, we really didn't want you. We, refu- we would have refused you to this day if, had you not worked in us and you not drawn us to yourself. Lord, we thank you for the assurance that this can give us, uh, that that our belonging to you doesn't rest on our choice, but it rests on your choice. It doesn't rest on our weakness, but on your strength. Uh, It doesn't rest on a a decision we made, but it rests on the decision you made before time again. Lord, we pray that the comfort of that, the assurance of that would grow in our hearts uh, throughout this study and that we, with Paul, could rejoice in your uh, choosing your people. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs> we'll lower this a little bit. All right, the, the first thing we're going to do today is simply talk about the fact of election, okay? Just that it's there. And then uh, we'll talk some about the, the, the celebration of election that's in the Bible. So I think this is important because, and my wife put it this way, uh, almost this way, but um, I, I liked it. She said... Um, you can redefine election, but you can't remove election from the Bible. You understand that? You can't remove it. You can't just say, well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't use the word. It doesn't use predestination. It doesn't say chose. It doesn't say elect. It, just, it, it does, right? So that's the first thing where you just lay that groundwork that it says it over and over again in the Bible. Uh, because many times people have <clears throat> said things like, well, they made this up, you know. Somebody came up with this, and they injected it into the Bible. Um, but it's there, and we'll see how people like to redefine it to make election not be election, to be, make it to be something other than election. <clears throat> but the fact that it's there has to be dealt with to start with. <clears throat> so uh, we we start then in this uh, survey that I've. Have for you uh, in the Old Testament, and certainly and, and next week Ryan is going to focus on Old Testament. Then the week after that, I'll focus on the New Testament. Then the last week, we'll try to uh, have a time of uh, questions and and sum things up. But the Old Testament here in Deuteronomy 14, this kind of thing is said again and again concerning Israel. This is just an example. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. So it it wasn't that God 
Well, it doesn't really say why and how, although Ryan's going to talk about this from Deuteronomy 7 where he says, I chose you because I loved you. And actually that passage ends up saying, I, I loved you because I loved you. You know, it's all within God as to why he chose. But the fact that he chose Israel is, is just as plain as day right here. Notice in Psalm 33, uh, the people whom he's chosen for his own inheritance. Psalm 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. They're described as his chosen ones in Psalm 105. The Lord has chosen Jacob. Jacob is another word for Israel. Um, I mean, Israel for his own possession. Uh, how blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to dwell in your court. So this last uh, passage, Psalm 65, is even individual, right? It's not just, it's not corporate of choosing Israel, but it speaks of a specific person that God chooses to bring near to dwell in your courts. So uh, just beginning in the Old Testament, and this is, this is, uh, one of the things that people have said when they hear about election and they start reading the Old Testament, it, it really is amazing that of all the peoples in the earth, and you think of this, how many people were living in the whole world? I mean, they lived in many, many places scattered around the whole world. It could have been anybody that he chose, any group of people. Uh, there's a place in one of the... Uh, prophets where he says, uh, our father or your father was a wandering Aramean. I had a, um, a Dutch professor in school who was heavy in his Dutch accent and he loved that phrase. He used it a lot. My father was a wandering Aramean. You know, that's the way he said it. So we all walked around saying, you know, my father was a wandering Aramean. <clears throat> but the point is, he was just this guy. He's just an Aramean, you know. He wasn't somebody that stood out. He wasn't somebody that you'd take note of. Um, it, it speaks of how his ancestors worshipped idols. Why, why Abraham? Why him? Why this group of people? Why did you build this particular people out of all the people in the world? And when you think of that, it, it does, it can make you, uh, struggle a little bit, as it has my, uh, me in the past, of why why them and not someone else? Why did they hear the truth of God and everybody else worship idols? Everybody worshiped idols, you realize. Everybody, except this one little sliver of people whom he chose to reveal himself to. So election, before you get to the New Testament, is is all over. It's the whole basis of the Old Testament that one particular people out of all the pagan worshipers in the world. <clears throat> one of the things that has struck me being a docent <clears throat> at the Kimball is in the eastern section, the uh, ancient section, the uh, section in India and China, and then the Mesoamerican section, the African section, is all about idolatry. Okay? That's all it is, one thing after another. Uh, and these objects, <clears throat> and they get really, really weird. You know? Like one object in India is you, you walk in and you're, you're pretty struck with this fat little boy body about this big. It's got an elephant head on it. 
you think, good night. Somebody made this, you know? Why would you make this, and why would you want to look at it? You know, it's really grotesque. And then you find out that <clears throat> this was this this god was made when the uh, one of the great goddesses' uh, husband left for a while. She rubbed off the sweat of her body, made this son, told him to stand outside her door while she took a bath. The husband comes back. He's a major god, right? He comes back, didn't recognize the boy because he wasn't here when he left, and he cuts his head off. She comes out and says, you killed my son. Oh, I didn't know it was your son. Well, couldn't find his head. You know, it's a problem when you cut off heads as a god. You just can't find the head. You know, where did that head go? So uh, he says, I will put a head on, the, on him the first thing that comes along. White elephant comes along, puts the white elephant head on the boy. Now, the boy loves sweets. That's why he's got a fat little tummy, because he loves sweets. And you pray to him uh, for favor. He will bring about favor in your life. He's one of the favorite gods. Okay, everybody in the world had gods like that, you know. Everybody's worshiping, and that's just one I could describe over and over and over in that in those sections. <clears throat> in uh, and so, the emphasis in the Bible is out of all the people that are worshiping idols, I've chosen to reveal myself to you. And this little sliver of people, and and people do when they study the history of uh, of the world, it is remarkable. That out of all the peoples of the earth, here was monotheism. How did it come about? Why did it exist? It's hard to understand why it existed. Monotheism in the middle of rapid polytheism and idolatry. Uh, We would say the Lord chose them. He chose this people to reveal himself out of all the people in the world. So, election is there in the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, we, it, this word continues to be used. And, of course, uh, the remarkable thing in the New Testament is not that election exists, but election is wider than at least the Israelites thought it was going to be. That election extends to all peoples of the earth. Every kind of person, every uh, every people group of the world, uh, we read in Revelation is going to stand before the throne and worship Him. So, the word elect, yeah, we've got that, but the fact that it uh, applied so widely uh, in the New Testament, <clears throat> and of course, it we, we find out that it had always been the plan to reach out to the whole world and. And it, isn't it interesting that uh, when it seems that God narrows down to this one person, Abraham, okay, what does he say to Abraham? He said, the whole world through your seed is going to be reached. And this came right on the heels of what event in, in chapter 11? The Tower of? Babylon, yeah, right? So that was the scattering of people, right? All over the world with various languages. 
And right after that, God picks a man and says, you know, this scattering of the people, they're all going to be gathered back through Abraham. And in the, uh, at Pentecost, of course, that was the great fulfillment, the beginning of that, because it says people from all over the world were there and were brought together in Christ and, and received the Spirit. <clears throat> so uh, the election has this wonderful wide view, even when he chooses Abraham, he says, this is going to be salvation to the whole world. But just look, uh, the word elect uh, used just as a matter of fact, it's not a, it's not a special, you know, I'm going to say the word, get ready, elect, you know, it's just used just, just like, yeah, you're chosen. Like uh, the word saint is used a, a lot, isn't it? To the saints, or it'll say to the called, you know, and it'll say to the elect. It's just one of those names of God's people that is used regularly in, in Scripture. And so um, here, Matthew 24, for the sake of the elect, those days would be uh, cut short. And later in verse 24, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. And then later he sends forth his angels to gather his elect. So three times right there in Matthew 24, as Jesus is speaking about things that are to come, uh, he calls them elect. Same thing in Luke 18, uh, John 15, uh, well-known passage, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I chose you out of the world. Again, Romans 8 uses the phrase elect. But there in John 15, uh, it's, it's quite clear who chose who, right? Uh, why we have this relationship. Uh, and the implication is that you had nothing to do with this. He, he, he does say this, you did not choose me. And sometimes people will say, well, we have no choice. Well, we do have a choice. And they say, it, it, um, we don't, trying to swing over here to ensure election, we'll, we'll say things like, it's not our choice. We do choose. So he's not saying, you didn't choose me, Right. But he's, he's giving us here the basis for it, the, the root of it, the source of everything. It didn't begin with your choice. Yes, when I reveal myself to you and when he reveals himself to us, we gladly choose him. We gladly uh, embrace him. So just don't read it out of context and say, we don't ever choose. He just chooses us. But Jesus is underscoring the root and the source of this. It wasn't your initiative. It was my initiative. And I chose you and I appointed you. I chose you for a particular reason, to go and bear fruit. You were in the world and you'd still be in the world, but I chose you out of the world. So it's all his initiative. It's, uh, and, and we would still be where we were if he hadn't chose us out of the world in that regard. Now, I'm going to come back to Romans 9 uh, but we can at least use this uh, phrase from it. <clears throat> He's talking about the twins, Jacob and Esau, okay? And he is describing here the reason that uh, they themselves uh, 
were not the reason God chose them. And this, this anticipates some things we're going to say. But, so it, but he says, Though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to election might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. <clears throat> so Jacob was going to be the younger, Esau the older, and before they were born, and he's underscoring the fact that they, couldn't, they had not done anything good or bad. It didn't depend on the fact that they had done anything good or bad or that, that one was better than the other one. This is, he's underscoring this, um, and this anticipates one of the uh, false views of election, that God looks ahead to see who the good people are, basically. Uh, but this is specifically not the case, uh, Paul says here. And I do want you to notice that he says uh, they had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to election might stand, not because of works. Now, this is striking because in God's way of thinking here, when you step away from election, now I'm not saying that people that don't believe in election as we do hold to works, okay? I'm not saying that at all because uh, people rest in Christ alone. But in this passage, he says it's not because of works, but because of him who calls because of election. So to move away from election is to move toward works because the thought is he chooses because of works. He chooses because of of somebody's faith. He chooses because he sees that they've done something good. And uh, Paul is making the case that, no, they weren't even born yet, okay? They weren't even born yet. You couldn't look and say, oh, look how good Jacob is. I'm going to pick him. He says, so that it couldn't depend on anything uh, but just because of God's purpose, so there again, the word election is just used. Uh, again, Romans 11 talks about the word chosen. Uh, Romans 16, chosen. Notice its repeated use in 1 Corinthians. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before the Lord. So he's saying God didn't just look around and, and pick the people that were the smartest people, the strongest people, the most wealthy people, uh, the wisest people. He chose people that you might not expect, you know. He chose weak people. He chose foolish people. Um, but you get the point. He did the choosing, right? He did the choosing. He decided who was going to be a part of his people. And it may not have fit the construct that people had, you know, that God's going to come along and look around and say, you know, golly, you know, this guy, look, he has really accomplished a lot in his life. You know, he's used his gifts in such a wonderful way. And he's produced so much for his society. Uh, I, I, I would like to have him. The way we tend to pick friends or we tend to, 
honor people and uh, we, we tend to include people based on their merit. Um, but God here is very specific of how he chose and it didn't depend on who the smart, strong, wise, wealthy people were. Uh, and he did it on purpose. So, it, but these, these things were his, his choice and his alone. All right, on the, uh, page two then, we see continued use of this word uh, just in the, in the way he talks. You know, it's, he's not really underscoring it. That, that's one of the ways you know that this must be just the most common idea, an assumed idea for you just to use the word again and again, just to describe people. It's not making a big point of it. He's just saying that's who we are. Uh, it's the faith of God's elect, Titus 2. Uh, again, he chose the poor of this world uh, to be rich in faith. That's when he's talking about how people, uh, you know, a rich person comes in and they honor him, they give him a, a great seat, and a poor person comes in, they sit him in the back. And he says, that's really interesting that you would choose the rich person over the poor because God chooses the poor uh, many times instead of the rich. Um, and, uh, but again, it, it's God's uh, a choice there. First uh, Peter 1, talking about election according to his foreknowledge. One great passage, you're a chosen race. Uh, election again and again. Uh, so... These are just the words of choose and elect or election, chosen, those kind of words. Now, here's some other passages that use terms in teaching election that are not necessarily that word, but they mean basically the same thing. So here's Jesus talking about his people, and he says, All that the Father has given me will come to me. For this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So uh, here, Jesus describes these people that he says will come to him as people that the Father has given him. And look at this further, but This is a select group that he says has been given to him. Now he's taken them under his wing, so to speak. He's responsible for them. He's acting for them. The Father has given them to him. And he says, of those, all of them will come to me. Well, he says this earlier in this passage. uh, Yeah, in in, in verse uh, 37. Um, So... People come because the Father has been given, uh, has given them. And then he says it again in verse 65, no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. So these people that are given to him, it's granted to them to come. And this is strong language uh, that some are granted to come and some are not granted to come. Um, And we'll explore this. But I'm just talking about the fact that you have to deal with these passages uh, that speak of the ones that are given to the Son. Those are the ones that come to Him. And here it is. You see, the ones given to me come to me. 
And it's the same thing as those to whom it's granted are, are, are the ones that come. So the same language being given uh, to him and being granted to come. <clears throat> John 17, 2 is the same thing. All to whom you've given him, that same language. Uh, Acts 13, it says, As many as has been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, notice how much, how similar this is to what Jesus says. Appointed to eternal life. Okay. And this is, uh, well, to come, right? (laughs) They were the ones that believed. So, the ones given to him come. The ones to whom it is granted come. And then uh, Luke is able to put it this way in in, in Acts. Those to whom it was appointed uh, eternal life. I love that. That's good. (laughs) He's so stupid. Um, But you see the similarity of these things. And this is not using the word election. But you can just see it's the way they talk about things. To some people, that they were given to Jesus and they come to him. It was granted to them and so they came. They were appointed to eternal life and so they believed. Just again and again. That's the kind of language that is used to describe people uh, coming. Here in uh, Romans 9, this is one of the most difficult passages uh, to, to, to lay hold of. But here's God saying, or here's Paul saying, What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? He's talking about people here. And he did so in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Now, I, I struggle with this. I've struggled with this. I struggle with it when I read it, okay? It's hard. Do you, can you, and you might say, well, it doesn't mean what it says. Okay, that's another option. It doesn't mean what it says. But it does say, some are prepared for destruction, some are prepared for glory. Is that what you read? <laughs> now, I'm, it's hard. It's difficult. And that's not the whole picture. There are reasons why, you know, because of our sinfulness, uh, we've turned our backs upon God and we deserve the punishment that we have. Um, All of those things. But the sheer fact that prepared indicates something before time, a planning, a purpose, a when the plan rolls out, some people will be, uh, destroyed in judgment, some people will end up in glory. That that's that's put here, and so this is this is probably the most severe sound of election any anywhere in the Bible. Um, but my point is, we can't run from this. Now you know that we're not a church uh, that we look for election and we talk about it some way every Sunday. You know, you just, you don't hear that from us. We, we really just try to teach whatever the passage says. Now, I had a friend who is at a, a church that was very, very reformed. And 
one elder in particular was over reform, let's call it. <laughs> I wouldn't call it, yeah, over reform. He was OR, that's right. <laughs> well, my friend was so faithful in preaching through Isaiah, and he was opening up the beauties of the poetry and the loveliness of the metaphors and all this. But he didn't, Sunday after Sunday, which this man wanted to hear, use it as some kind of way to get back to talk about election. Because he thought reform preaching means you've got to talk about election almost every Sunday. He was in the parking lot one day, jumping up and down on his Bible because he was so upset that he didn't mention election that day. You know, So don't do that. <laughs> but my point is, we're not on an election uh, merry-go-round. You know, we're on a treadmill where you're going to hear about it. But on the other hand, um, it's it's like uh, one of our one person who's standing here. I won't embarrass him in front of everybody, but uh, he had listened to um, R.C. Sproul tapes before he came, and uh, in his particular church, although the pastor had said, "Well, I, I believe those things," but he didn't preach him. And it happened that the first day he came to our church years ago, we were teaching uh, in Sunday school like today on predestination. It was the first time I'd done it in a year or two of being here. And uh, he told me several months later, I'd heard about it on tape, but I'd never heard it live. (laughs) So I just thought that was so cute, you know. Um, So we, we hope we'll if if it's there, if it's in the if it's in a text, we're just going to teach it because it's there. We're not going to shy away from it or hide it or make excuses for it or so I'm so sorry this says this and uh, that kind of thing. And 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 as we'll talk about in a minute, it's it's celebrated in Scripture. It's a beautiful, wonderful aspect of teaching, but it's just one of many things in the Bible. So we don't want to. On the one hand, we're just harping on it, you know, and. Uh, I, I tell you, I really appreciated going to the uh, RUF senior uh, uh, testimony time uh, Wednesday night a week ago. Uh, Ryan Anderson had invited us to go, and we went. We heard, I don't know, a dozen or so seniors give testimony as to what RUF had meant to them. That's our college ministry, in case you don't know. And you know what they talked about? Every one of them, in some way or another, they talked about grace and they talked about community. They didn't talk about, well, her election, and that was the first time I had her election, whatever, you know. And, um, in fact, we have heard many, many people who've been a part of our fellowship talk about, I finally understood grace and the love of God. I really understood the love of God, you know. And we think that's partly because we believe in election, because of the initiative of God's love. You know, his, he, he, he comes to us and shows that love. But they don't, people don't hear so much about election, but they hear the beauty of election is that he loved you and he chose you. He loved you and he gave his son. He loved you and he drew you to himself. But it was so encouraging 
I mean, Kay and I were crying most of the time <laughs> listening to these people talk about. And, and they would talk about um, the difficulties they had faced and losses and deaths in the family and what grace had meant and what community had meant uh, in that way. And that, we don't think that's anti-reformed. You know, we, we think that's uh, part of this whole uh, milieu of God's sovereign love being shown to us. We do think when you move away from the idea of election, you're going to start moving away from that fundamental idea of the grace of God. Um, well, so <clears throat> these uh, passages, First uh, Corinthians, uh, that just says Corinthians two seven, but um, that's First Corinthians. Notice the word predestined, uh, that famous word. And then Ephesians 2.10 talks about being God's workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, beforehand is before the, crea- before the foundation of the world, before the world began. So God has a plan uh, that we should walk in good works which means he had a plan to bring us to himself. He had a plan of how the gospel was going to come to us and how he was going to bring the influence of Christ into our lives and how he was going to open up our hearts so that we could respond to the, the gospel. And then all that would uh, flow from that and the very works that we would walk in. The whole thing is planned out by God. Uh, this, is, this is really an amazing statement because it includes even for your birth, Right? It, it, it includes the fact that you would exist and how that would happen and that your mother and daddy would have to meet each other somewhere, right? And their mother and daddy. And, the, you know, it goes on back. The plan uh, in, embraces everything that even brought you into existence and where you're going to live and how the gospel is going to come to you. It, um, to say he planned the works that you would walk in is, is an awesome, awesome statement, as all of these are. Um, <clears throat> then First Thessalonians, he's not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation. That sounds like the Romans passage, right? Vessels of, of glory and not vessels of wrath. Um, notice the beautiful statement in Second Timothy. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. From all eternity, it was granted uh, for us to uh, be brought to him. Then there are other passages there that you want to look. Now, I I just included this uh, historical breadth so that you could see again and again in Scripture, there's this structure of saying uh, what happens before time, what happens in time, and what will happen at the end of time. Uh, the most famous one, look at the bottom, Romans 8, where he says, He foreknew and predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. And then in time, he says, those whom he predestined, verse 30, he called and justified and then glorified. It has to do with what happens at the end of time. So you can see on the next page that little uh, chart. Before time, before time ever began, he knew us. That means he loved us and he predestined us. In time, he called us to himself and justified us. And at the end of time, 
we will be conformed to his image. We will be glorified. But just so you see, this it always in their minds is he he chose something in history uh, before history. It, he enacted it in history, and he brings it to its final conclusion. And always the end is in the beginning. He chooses so that in the end we would be with him forever. And that's always wonderful to think about, that he chose you so that he could have you forever. Um, now, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians... We just close with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Just so that you see, uh, election is celebrated. In fact, it's celebrated as uh, the first of the many wonderful blessings that God has given to us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So praise be His name. Give Him honor. Adore Him. Admire Him. Why? Because He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And then notice again, in love... He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Now, up to this point, he said, he gave us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So what did he start? For instance, he chose us. He chose us. And then he predestined us to be adopted as his children. Uh, And then what's the result of that in verse 6? To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So you see, that whole first section is just a celebration of election and predestination. It gives you the results of it that we should be holy and blameless. But it's a celebration of His choosing us before the foundation of the world, of His predestining us for adoption Uh, And all that's according to his purpose in verse 5. And the result is, back where he started, blessed be the God. And he says, he's done this, he's chosen us, and he's uh, predestined us to the praise of his grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved. Notice again, as at RUF, the foundation, of course, is God's initiative, his electing grace. But the kids just responded to grace and this, he is defining election and predestination as a part of his glorious grace, right? Because it's to the praise of his grace that's been given us in choosing us. So whatever else election is, it's considered glorious grace that he would choose us. Glorious grace that he would predestine us for adoption. Um, and all of this is, is the way he has blessed us in the beloved, blessed us in, in Christ and every spiritual blessing. So hopefully just this much this morning, uh, if this is new to you, okay, elections in the Bible, no doubt. It's, it's there over and over and over again. The word predestined is there, uh, and these other different words that are saying basically the same thing. And here, obviously, 
Paul is rejoicing over election, rejoicing over predestination, and, and he calls it a part of God's glorious grace. He calls it a part of this wonderful spiritual blessings that have been poured out in our lives. Now, we may have other questions about fairness. Just, we didn't get to it this morning, but we, we will talk about it in two weeks. Uh, if you want to read Romans 9, it's a good, good place to start. Um, especially because in Romans 9, Paul basically does this. He says, you will say to me, as he's talking about election, you will say to me, this isn't fair, basically. That, that is always interesting to me, that he anticipates what you and I think when we hear these things. He anticipates our reaction. That this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. Now, he answers it pretty severely. Who are you to answer back to God? You know, it's just, he's pretty straightforward in that. But at least this should be comforting to you to say, okay, way back then, 2,000 years ago, Paul writes this and people are saying, I don't know, I don't get this. How he could choose some and not others. He said, you'll, you'll think this isn't fair. I know, I know, I got it. And so that shows that he must really be talking about that. He's not saying, oh, no, no, I don't mean, no, 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 no. I don't mean that God chooses some and not, I didn't mean that. No, he says, you'll think this isn't fair, but you really can't talk back to God. He does what he wants to do. That's basically his answer. Now, we'll try to be nicer than Paul. No, just kidding. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, here, here's one fundamental thing that I'll, I'll draw on the board just... So you have this, this picture. Uh, some of you have seen this before, but um, it's supposed to be an error this way. What, what people think of election is that God is saying to people you, who would want, would want to belong to him, you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. That's what election is to people, right? Election says no to people. All right, it does say no, but it says no the other way, okay? <laughs> because all of us are trying to get away from God. None of us wants God. None of us loves God. And God says, no, I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to draw you to myself. Yeah, he does say no, but it's not the no you think. It's not no, you can't come. No, I'm not going to let you walk away from me. Now, for many people, when he presents the gospel and they walk away, he leaves it. You've chosen. You've chosen not to believe me. I earnestly wanted you to come. You chose not to. He leaves it there. But for his own, his elect, he won't take no for an answer. So that's just a little quick. may seem like it's not fair, but that's what it really is. It's keeping us out of hell. I, I call that good. You know, I call that a good thing. So let's pray. Father, bless us as we continue to look into this uh, great truth in your word of your initiative uh, in our lives, uh, even before the foundation of the world. Bless us, Lord, that we too with Paul can rejoice in what you've done to draw us to yourself. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>